0: hi Hi, everyone i'm john
1: and i'm georgia and we're here inside
0: your ears to
1: talk about the mac and cheese of movies
0: this This is comfort Comfort Films. films Hello everyone and welcome to episode 31 of the Comfort Films podcast where we're going to be talking about Star Wars episode 4 A New Hope which was originally released back on May 25th 1977 so we're just a couple weeks away really from the 45th anniversary.
1: That's so wild yeah so wild to me I mean this came out like eight months ish eight seven eight months before i was born Mm -hmm. so i've never lived in a world without star wars me neither you did for like a month and a (gasps) half i did oh my god you predated it by like i don't know a month and 22 days
0: how do you think i did during that time terrible yeah
1: (laughs) you were crying the whole time
0: just really tanking out (laughs) just really like looking at the newspaper listings for the movies you know (laughs) just this baby
1: Yeah, you were hating that. But, you know, luckily you didn't have to wait that long.
0: No, no, I didn't.
1: Um, I mean, it's really crazy to do a show on this movie. Um, You know, ever since we thought of the idea to do a podcast and do it on comfort films, Star Wars has been something that's been coming up, obviously, because I think pretty much to everyone in, you know, the United States, if not most of the world, Mm -hmm. has a lot of, you know affinity for Star Wars and all of the Star Wars related things um, because there's just so much with it now.
0: All the toys
1: that we have out there now. You know what I mean? Like
0: the thing that's crazy to me is like, I remember collecting the toys back when I was a kid and I was lucky because I was a kid and I didn't really have to buy them. They just showed up magically. (laughs) And um, I mean, thank you to my parents for buying me every single Star Wars toy that ever came out. I loved the toys very much. Um, Now, when I see, like, a TIE fighter for, like, $250, (laughs) I'm like, oh, my God.
1: Well, I mean, I think it's almost, at this point, impossible to buy all the toys. And when we were kids, I think everybody had at least some Star Wars toys. Even I, who barely had any toys, probably had something Star Wars related. And I would go to my friends' houses, and they would have, like, you know, the awesome action figures and Like, the Darth Vader head case. I had that. I had that. I thought that thing was super cool, even though I'm really not a Darth Vader fan. Yeah. Um, I thought that was super cool. Um, But, yeah, it's just one of these things where, you know, when we pick a movie to talk about, we kind of want to look for something... That is unique that we can say something special about that maybe yeah. hasn't been said before. And with Star Wars, that's like nearly impossible, I think, especially for people our age. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, one thing I will say is when I said the TIE Fighter was $250, I'm talking about new ones that came out now. Oh my God. I'm not even approaching the prices of the, of the older items. Yeah, my the box, the <laughs> box for my Death Star playset. I think at one point sold for about a hundred, two hundred dollars. You know, it's like I got rid of my Star Wars stuff at a time where I felt like you know it wasn't gonna go any higher in value. I was really wrong. <laughs> I was <laughs> well, that was really, like after the really three wrong.
1: prequels, but not, but like before the three. I don't know sequels. I don't know the, what the, we call the
0: after Force sequels? Awakens
1: and after. <laughs> um, and then, of course, before the Mandalorian, which like became a huge phenomenon as well, mm. which we haven't even watched. Like, I mean, no. it's not that we don't want to; it's just time wise. It's like there's just so much to consume.
0: But that Baby Yoda looks so good. Oh, God, he I looks know. so cute.
1: I haven't watched the Mandalorian, but I have no less than like three T-shirts <laughs> of Baby Yoda, so I'm all about it. This is just such a big cultural phenomenon. And it's pretty much impossible, I think, to say anything completely unique about it at this point. Yeah. However, I'm always up for a challenge. I, you know, was an English major who was like, "I'm gonna focus on Shakespeare. I'll find something new." You know, I mean, it's practically impossible, but I still wanted to go for the challenge. And you do it. And do it. Well, and the fact is, with Star Wars, regardless of if we're like breaking new ground or not it is something that we really love oh yeah it's a great opportunity to discuss it around the 45th anniversary coming up 45th anniversary and, and in addition to that we are going to uh shift here into a few weeks of episodes on sword and sorcery movies
2: mm-hmm.
1: and this may not be the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of sword and sorcery because it's like wait this is sudden space But really, this is a sword and sorcery movie in space.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's even a character that says something to Vader about his uh, sorcerer's ways.
1: Yes. Which I never really registered that before. But when we decided to watch it this time, we decided to say, okay, okay, we're going to watch this as part of a sword and sorcery tradition with like the space twist. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we did. And I think that for us regardless of the number that we've number of times that we've seen this which is insane oh yeah yeah I mean I I can't even really say no. how many times I've seen it I
0: have no idea
1: we did even come away with new things that we noticed which so was it, huge. it is something where you know you're seeing it again fresh for kind of the first time which is practically impossible because, I know both of us saw this when we were little kids yeah. at the theater and re-release. Like, we had talked about this before, you know, it came out when you were a month old. Yeah. So your parents probably went, but they probably didn't take you. No, And no. you wouldn't remember if they... I mean, if you remembered, <laughs> you know, that would be pretty special. That would be awesome uh... if I did. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I remember seeing
0: Empire Strikes Back in 1980. I remember seeing that in the theater, and I don't remember my first viewing of star wars i just remember that i saw it you know it's kind of like the mr Brightside lyrics you're like (laughs) when did you learn those i just knew
1: you were born yeah it (laughs) was
0: just like i knew the movie like i don't know so it it has like this really great feeling for me because it's always been there yeah you know it's always been well i mean i did have like you know that short month and a half where i was without (laughs) And, yeah, it was a mess.
1: But, yeah, yeah it, it, was a mess. it kind of parallels, you know, your 45th anniversary of a, as a living human. Oh, my God, I'm Which old. you celebrated last yes. month. Yes, Um, But, yeah, I don't remember when I saw it either. I've talked before about how we didn't really go to movies that much when I was a kid. Yeah. But I, my dad really liked... Star Wars my dad was a sci-fi kind of a nut mm-hmm. and this I wouldn't classify necessarily as sci-fi it has sci-fi elements but it's kind of a science fantasy
2: yeah
1: he really liked it and I know that I went and saw Empire when it came out um and I also must have seen this in re-release at some point um I don't remember exactly but like you I just felt like I was born aware of of Star Wars. Um, yeah. And it was ubiquitous when we were kids.
0: Yeah, it was everywhere. I mean, I remember being very young and they would roll in, you know, the VCR mm-hmm. and they would have the tape and you were like, what sorcery is this? <laughs> you know, you were like, wow. And then, you know, when you got the VCR at home. And then everyone started taping everything off a television, and then I remember people would tape it off a television, then would just watch it all the time, you know, in my neighborhood. And you would end up then buying the VHS tape, and then later I bought the DVD, then I bought another DVD.
1: And then another version. Yes,
0: the Blu-ray, and then I bought the digital, and I'll buy it again.
1: And these have been re-edited, and different things have been changed, and all kind of stuff, so... It's like we've seen so many different versions of it, and so many you know different formats. Yeah, and it's pretty crazy. Yeah,
0: well, and they even had you know when I was a kid, well, when I was a kid, not you, <laughs> right? Um, they had those uh, records that actually would be the story. You know, you I would did
1: ha- have those. You but did? I think for like Return of the Jedi because okay. I think it was like Ewok related or something. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, I I had an Ewok one. I had a droids one. But it was just like it was a a 45. You know, it was, uh, was maybe it was a 33 speed. I'm not sure. But it was just a book that had pictures from the film. And then you could just listen along. And so you had that before you had, like, your home video recording of it. Yeah. And then they had some different adventures, yes, with the Ewoks. And then I remember, like, uh, something about droids I, I can't remember yeah, all of them I had, so many
1: i had coloring books book books like yeah all kinds of stuff and um you know I, we're gonna try to focus just as much as possible on just a new hope right um but you know it's a huge series and everything's interconnected we may mention something about everything up to and including something that just came out recently right so hopefully you're caught up but if not <laughs> spoiler alert
0: yeah be ready
1: Darth Vader is Luke's father. I mean, gosh. God, yeah. You sorry. You son of a bitch. It happens in Empire. You know? uh, what? <laughs> anyway. I mean, come on. <laughs> come on, Georgia. You ruined it. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, we might touch on that, but as much as possible, we're trying to focus on A New Hope. The funny thing is, I remember Empire the most. I think that's probably because I saw that one in the theater for sure. Like, I remember Mm -hmm. And I might have only, I don't even know if I was even two years old. Maybe I was just two years old um, when that came out. And I remember seeing it. And then when Return of the Jedi came out, I think that was kind of the big one for us. Because we were like in that school age by that point.
0: Well, we had like the cliffhanger of cliffhangers with the end of Empire Strikes Back. And I remember all the times that I watched it. I loved it. And I was like, okay, there's got to be some clue here about what's going to happen next. (laughs) And there was nothing. It was just like, we're going to go take care of it. I've got a robotic hand. (laughs) He's my dad. It's a lot to process. Yeah, it was.
1: Especially when you're a little kid, you're like, what? But also, I think that we were like getting really lit about the Ewoks (laughs) when we were like little kids.
0: The Ewoks, yes. I I always love cuddly creatures. I mean, you know, my favorite thing, I think I mentioned this before before was Jabba the Hutt you know yes. I didn't for some reason understand what a scumbag he was <laughs> I I just saw him as this big dude that just kind of sat around and I thought he was pretty good yeah and I I would call my dad Jabba and like I would always sit with my dad on the couch and like sometimes he would like lay down on the couch and his legs would like be bent out and I'd kind of sit you know, where like the space is in the back of his legs. Yeah. So I felt like Salacious Crumb. <laughs> and and like that was the thing and that was very exciting. So That's like Job of the Hut, Salacious Crumb have a much different meaning you know, in my mind than what they really are. Well, it was funny because
1: when Rogue One came out, Diego Luna was talking about how much he, like, really liked Jabba, too. (laughs) Yeah. And it made me laugh because I was like, okay, John, there's somebody else like you who just really has this affinity for Jabba.
0: Right. It made me feel a little less crazy. (laughs) You know, like, when Return of the Jedi came out, it came out during the week. And, you know, I really wanted to go. And I was like, I went to my parents, please, please. I really want to go. I really need to know what happens and both of my parents wanted to see it too and my dad couldn't go because of work and he said you know what eileen take him." so like i got to go i got to see it i got the whole story i was like wow and then like that weekend we went and saw it with
1: my dad again that's cool yeah, yeah. i'm a yoda kid like i loved yoda sure um who shows up in empire right um and i remember when i went to see empire at the theater. I watched it, and I was just totally engrossed the whole time because I was all about Yoda. Sure. And then when we left, I turned around to my mom, and I said, Mama, was that movie eight hours long? (laughs) And nowadays, I would see that as a bad thing, but at the time, I actually was really excited because I felt like I had gotten so much out of the experience, and I just was, like, so happy about that. And another funny story I have is... That I went to a Halloween party when I was in kindergarten, and this must have been a couple years at least after Empire had come out and I'd seen it in the theater, Mm -hmm. and Yoda was at this Halloween party. Like, we walk in, you know, there's a lot going on. I was probably extremely overstimulated because I'm a little kid. Right. You know, there's Halloween party, there's candy, there's Apple Bobbing, there's everything happening there's games there's toys there's people there's so much but then i saw yoda and it's like the entire world stopped and i just freaked out because yoda was there and my mom like turns around and sees me just like stock still like mouth open staring at yoda (laughs) she's because she said georgia yoda's over there why don't you go talk to him And I, like, you know, put my hand up, like, to my neck like I was clutching my little pearls. (laughs) And I said,
2: I just can't.
1: (laughs) I don't think I've ever been that starstruck in my life. That's when I thought this was, like, the real Yoda at my, you know, Halloween party for kindergarten. And then, of course, it was ruined because some little loser girl started crying when she saw Yoda and Yoda's head came off, and Aww. it was my, my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Lamar. But I have to give props to Mrs. Lamar for, like, really going for it, because okay. this was, like, cosplay-level costume of Yoda. This wasn't, like, the Halloween costumes we had when we were little kids with, okay. like, the little plastic suit and the plastic mask right? that would just look terrible. Like, kids today don't understand the struggle of, these hideous halloween costumes that we had to wear
0: no those plastic masks cut into your face they were sharp and then you just had that rubber band that just would dig in and there was like so much sweat that would
1: form the sweat is what i remember like the little the mask was bad enough but then you have these little plastic suits that you would put on over your regular clothes And then they would tie up in the back, and they were plastic. And so they just trapped all the heat in your body. You're, like, running around doing stuff and getting, like, kind of whipped up anyway because it's Halloween. Right. And then you're, like, just baking inside this plastic (laughs) suit of death. Well what I had a problem with a
0: lot of the time was the eyes. The eyes were particularly painful. They would stab me. So it was like my parents would like cut the eyes wider, (laughs) you know? And like you had to be careful that you didn't cut too much and like you could (laughs) just see my face through it. Yeah. It's like
1: That's really funny.
0: It's just like I possessed the creature and I'm busted out, you know?
1: But anyway, those are the horrors of being a Halloween kid in the eighties.
0: Yeah, those were
1: the tough times we had. Boy, that was a real uh (laughs) i can't help it it just gives me nostalgia for when we were kids when i think about this movie and i also love that i was like all right we're gonna focus on a new hope but let me just talk about (laughs) return of the jedi and empire for like 10 or 15 minutes
0: hey man i'm right there with you it's okay (laughs) it's hard to just say the one there's just there's so much mythology in this and this is what has been the big appeal to me with the series from the beginning these films are packed Okay, A New Hope is like two hours and one minute and some seconds. There is more information in that film than like ten other films I've seen lately. I fully
1: agree. It super establishes the mythology. Yeah. And it you know, I don't even know how it does this. Like, I thought about this when we were watching it again. Mm-hmm. How does this one movie that is really only two hours long, which honestly isn't even that long. There's a lot of action going on, too. Yeah. Um, But how does it manage to establish the entire mythos of this crazy world Mm -hmm. that's totally, you know, totally original? I'm not saying it's completely original, like it doesn't refer to anything else, because it sure does refer to like a lot of other things. Oh, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, there's so much originality um, in the places and the names of the people and all these creatures. You know, the creatures were crazy. Yeah. That I think is one of the big successes of this movie. You have, you know, the base story, which is Luke's journey um, as the hero. Mm-hmm. So he starts out kind of in the middle of nowhere. We don't know his background at this point, and it's his journey from being like this moisture farmer kid mm-hmm. out in the middle of no, like this desert, living in an igloo,
2: right, on
1: Tatooine, right, to being like the savior of his people, you know, of the Rebel Alliance. And that's, like, the core of what we're dealing with here. But there's so much added on to that.
0: Well, let's let's start a a little earlier in the tale, because I just want to talk a little bit about Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. (laughs) Okay. Okay? I just want to really just break it down. Like, Uncle Owen, it's like Jack Torrance, you know? (laughs) Like... I don't know what's in his blue milk, but he seems like just an angry dry drunk or maybe a drunk drunk. I don't know. (laughs) Like you know, when like Luke is asking him if he can go to the academy early, you know, and is asking about, you know, Kenobi and his father, and then Uncle Owen just gives him this look. Yeah. Oh my God. I thought that like like,
1: smack him around.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's like an unsafe household in all ways. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, like, I just, like, I, I think everybody, you know, needed to get out of there. Like John's in,
1: calling CPS right I now. Am,
0: dude, like, Uncle Owen is just bullshit from the moment we meet him, okay? <laughs> that's like, true. Like, they go to buy the droids, okay? And he's just, like, a complete prick. He's like, yeah, yeah. He asked 3PO. He's like, you know do you speak bocce and he's like yeah and he's like do you know anything about you know the the moisture farming whatever it is and he's like yeah and then he just tells 3po to shut up (laughs) yeah and then he's like yeah i'll take this one and you're like okay and you're just like, and like can you fuck? Well and
1: 3PO is a protocol droid. Yeah. So he's being like super polite yes. the entire time, which just makes Owen look that much more of a dick.
0: Well, and could Owen like get a fucking shave on? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like
1: he looks
2: terrible.
0: He just looks like he's got this monster hangover and he's just bullshit with everyone. And then oh, like God. the jaw was, you know, try to sell him that red. You know, droid, that kind of like non R two, yeah, R two
1: that's red, m- more like a trash can kind of a guy. <laughs> and so yeah, he comes out
0: and the thing blows up, and like you know, Luke's like, "Hey, this has got a blown what anus." Else? I don't, <laughs> I don't forget what he calls it. And then like, I like Uncle Owen just again, he's just laying it down with the Jawas, like, "Hey, what are you trying to push on
2: us?"
1: That's really awful. Yeah, I well, mean, it's, it's funny nuts. because when we saw like. You know, in the prequels when we saw, like, them dropping off Luke with Owen and Baru, <laughs> Yeah. Seemed like a different situation. That
0: was before, you know, like, Owen started hitting the sauce. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we definitely know that, like, Uncle Owen doesn't have, like, a secret underground grow operation. Yeah.
1: You no, know because he's not calm enough, I think like he if he had that it would be good
0: he needed it and like when Luke is gone and this is like the last time we see Baru and Owen, you know it's like he's like, hey, you know, have you seen Luke? did he go to do whatever? And uh, you know, she's like, Oh yeah, he left, something like that. And he's like, Well, he better be back and he better have done it or else there'll be hell to pay.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, like he's
0: he's so mad. So it's like I kind of feel like like Owen had to go down. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) It was kind of like the wire, you know, when Omar, you know, was like (laughs) he's got to go. Yeah, he is. And like he had to go. And so it was like Owen going, Okay, but Baru, what the fuck? Baru didn't deserve this.
1: No, she seems like such a nice person. How does she put up with him? I don't know. And she's like living in this hideous underground lair with like this blender. In the dirty igloo? Yeah, and she just keeps putting like vegetables in it looking like garbage. Yeah. Like, I don't know, Baru could have had, like, a better life, I feel.
0: I feel like she could have, too, and she seems like a nice person. She's smiling, and it's just like, yeah, Owen is just like a, a, a fucking steamroller. Well, and, I mean... And she's just, like, just staying cool.
1: She kind of takes it in stride yeah. that she's, like, the step, the sister-in-law of Vader, you know?
0: I don't know. I, I mean, mean, that's
1: the other thing I thought about when we watched it this time. I'm like, wait a minute, like, Vader... Is Owen's stepbrother, right? Yeah. Owen's father <laughs> married Anakin's mother, Shmee. So
0: Kleeg married Shmee. I think it's Kleeg. think it was Lars, my... yeah. Okay.
1: So Kleeg Lars, the father of Owen Lars, married Shmee Skywalker, the mother of Anakin. Okay. So Anakin and Owen are stepbrothers. Wow. It's a little different than Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, step brothers here. Can you imagine? Like this is the spinoff I need. I mean if it was Vader v- and Owen.
0: Like what would happen? Stepbrothers. There? Like that would get like really lit really quick.
1: Well, they're both like uh toxic males. I yeah. think they're they're not nice guys. They're horrible. Did it mean in a different way. But yeah. Like you kind of have to feel bad for Luke, right? Because mm. Luke and Leia are twins, right? Yeah. And Leia gets placed with Bail Organa, right? Who's like this politician and basically, you know, rich runs things on Alderaan.
0: Played by Jimmy Smith. It doesn't I mean, get Jimmy better Smith than that. Jimmy Smith
1: is your like adoptive father. Come on. That's awesome. That happened to like the kid in Sons of Anarchy at the end of the movie, at the end of the show too. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Smith makes a great adoptive dad, but but then Luke just gets kind of bundled up and tossed off on Owen and Beru on this hideous shit planet.
0: Yeah, it's a real butt plug, you know?
1: <laughs> Compared to Alderaan. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. So between Luke and Leia, Luke got the short end of the stick pretty hard on his placement. Bad foster care for Luke.
0: Right. Well, here's, I mean, this is just spitballing, and I have nothing to back this up, but just a thought. So, do you ever think that they would have possibly shown us what was going on on Alderaan if they had more money?
1: Yeah, I think they could have. I mean, but at the same time, I think they probably don't want you to get too attached because they're just going to blast it up. Right. And the main issue that you need to experience the loss through Leia, mm. because she is kind of your connection to Alderaan. Right. So, you know, all you really know about it is that she's from there, and the whole place got blown to shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, But I have to say, like, I mean, her reaction is kind of like, oh, no. You know I, mean? I she's she's like, I feel like
0: she's worried. I feel like I mean, I feel she's, like she's tough. Worried.
1: Like, that's, that's part of yeah. it, too. Like, Leia is super tough and we get the feeling that she's already been through it a lot. Well,
0: OK, they torture the hell out of her. And, and it's like, I'm always glad that she looks OK when we see her in the next scene but that part where they bring in that floating orb with the syringe that's coming out oh god her, yeah and then they do like the the move to Vader's face and then you leave the room and then they they tilt down and the door shuts that's scary to me like the look of horror on her face and just like the fact that like vader has like no like outward changes of expression makes him so scary it
1: does yeah because he's just like this black mask yeah no you know you can't get a read off of him at no. all no you know so it is scary and i guess you know this is the fair thing to say yes luke kind of had a crappier upbringing to some extent but he also was sheltered on tattooing from like the the brunt of what's actually going on in the galaxy at large whereas leia has been a part of it since she was a kid
0: yeah yeah you know and being in politics that i'm sure that's a big thing you're in the public eye that's a lot of uh it's a lot of work i couldn't imagine that
1: yeah and yeah exactly and she's been involved in the rebel alliance she you know is a fighter so even though they're the same age she seems like a million times more mature than luke at the beginning of this movie
0: well i'm very happy that we have a character in this we have a female character in this that doesn't take any shit. that she takes up for herself she's intelligent she's resourceful i mean this is like a really wonderful thing to have just in our culture
1: and i love that about this because it is a little bit of a departure from the sword and sorcery tradition mm-hmm. which usually has like a helpless damsel in distress for the princess. Yep. Rather than a badass, you know, a tiny badass, by the way. She's the smallest person. Like Leia is so little. Every time I see her like standing in front of Darth Vader.
0: Okay, yeah. It just yeah.
1: reminds you that she's like a miniature little doll of a person. Well David Prowse
0: is like super
1: tall, right? I think I think he's like Six, seven, or something like super crazy. Okay, and she's only—I think she's only like five one or something. She's okay. a very small person. Okay, um, like her mom's Debbie Reynolds. They're both like miniature little people. You know? Okay, it's like my grandma. <laughs> you know, they're so tiny. <laughs> hmm. Um, but yeah, and she's still such a tough person. She's not in distress. Yes, they come save her. Yeah. However, as soon as, really, the the saving is just opening the door so she can get out. And then she pretty much promptly takes charge and, like, starts kicking all the asses while Luke and Han are just kind of following behind, you know.
0: Well, as soon as Luke comes into Leia's cell and he's got the stormtrooper suit on, she's like... A little bit short for a stormtrooper, aren't you? <laughs>
1: yeah. She's she just got takes a, a shit on him. <laughs> her attitude is amazing, and I love it. She's got so much sass. It's like just pouring out.
0: Yeah, it's a wonderful character. It's a wonderful character. Yeah,
1: and, it, and as a woman, it was very great to have someone like that in a movie. Like, I looked up to her a ton. I wanted my mom to do my hair. With, like, the two Cinnabons on my head.
0: Those are so good.
1: Yeah, I had my, my mom gave me braids and curled them up on the side of my head all the time. because I have wanted pictures to... of this? Probably. Oh, wow. My hair is very, like, thin, though. So she has these enormous, like, monster things on her head. And mine were probably, like, deep, like, little tiny. It probably looked like I was wearing headphones or something, you know. <laughs> but But I thought Princess Leia was the ultimate coolest chick and that's who I wanted to be like and that was really cool to have that cuz i think little boys have a lot more options oh yeah for like you know badass characters that they you know want to, want to be like i mean you have han solo in this and i think i'm guessing i mean you have two options right you can really think luke is cool and want to be like luke
2: mm-hmm. or
1: you can think han solo is cool and really want to be like han solo or you can kind of want to be like both yeah and I think there's different um, options there for why you would choose one or the other. I mean, Han Solo, I think because he's so cool. Oh yeah, that what makes Han Solo such a great character in this
0: is he does not care about anything no. that's going on. Nothing is held sacred. Even the film itself, you feel like he holds in disdain. <laughs> and, and, and like you're just like this character is spectacular. Because, he, yeah, he just doesn't care. I mean, the wonderful scene, you know, where he blows away Greedo, you know, yeah. Han shot first. And I should note that we watched actually the original 1977 cut. Yeah. That's what we watched. So everything that we're, we're talking about here is is based in that. And when we talk about like the time of the film, I don't know if uh, the, the remastered versions add extra minutes or not. I, I don't know.
1: Um, I'm not sure. Well, I think they do. Isn't there an extra scene with job? Oh, that's correct.
0: Yeah. So they would be longer. They would be longer. So.
1: Yeah. But, but this, the 77 one is the one that we saw over and over when we were little. Yeah. Yeah. So it made sense for us to kind of revert back to that one to look at. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, each one of them has their benefits, but this is just what I remember. So this is like, when I think about Star Wars, this is the one I'm thinking about, and probably you too.
0: Oh yeah, this is a lot more punk rock. I mean, we don't have all the bells and whistles, and I like that. I like that they said, we made this, this is us taking it to the absolute limit, you know? And they really take it to the limit in terms of imagination.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right, because I was just going to say, like the what they were able to do with practical effects and just like you know obviously there's special effects involved here but just like the different creatures that they envision the different species yeah the banthas i love banthas giant muppet elephant mammoths or something
0: they look so cuddly
1: (laughs) Oh, I would buy it.
0: I would buy, like, a a stuffed animal of a bantha. (laughs) You know, I would love it. I would love it.
1: But, you know, those, and then when they go into the cantina, there's just this huge variety of, like, all these people, all of whom kind of have a butthole look to them, uh, (laughs) or, like, a ball sack look.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and then there's the gentleman that has uh, the nose...
1: Oh, my God. Penis nose? Yes. He's following them out? Yes. It's like a... It's gross. I mean, it's yeah. pretty graphic looking.
0: They... I, I mean, I'm it's just... It's like a
1: penisy, veiny snout. Yeah. Ew. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's it's harsh. We're I both mean...
1: disgusted by that when we saw this <laughs> We're just like, wow, no. Well, I mean... All
0: right. So, we're on Mose Eisley. We're in the cantina. You know? um, I just have to say, I felt like we had this, you know, crazy... You know, situation in the bar, you know, this rock is scene, and then we had the band playing. Mm-hmm. And what I thought about this time, and, and this made me laugh, is, you know, usually when you're in a place like that, you know, they'll have a band, and then they'll have, like, a host, mm-hmm. or they'll have a comedian coming up. <laughs> and so what I thought is that, like, Chewy was there for open mic. <laughs> just did a set you know what I mean
1: do your chewy sound <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they would have loved it and everybody would have like... <laughs> they would have thought it was that's great that's
1: really good what if he was just doing like wookie poetry open <laughs> I in. I would
0: go. I would I would totally watch that. And, I mean, again, it's like, you know, we meet the character of Han Solo, you know, in a bar, of course. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? He's got a load on. Yeah. And it's just <laughs> like, you know, the other thing is, again, talking about the time from, from the original 1977 cut, Han Solo shows up at 47 minutes.
1: I know, that's crazy to me because, like, he's so... I mean, he, you know, between him, Luke, and Leia, they're like the people, you know, you think of the human people that you think of. And for him to show up so late is wild. But, you know, Harrison Ford's presence as Han Solo kind of blows up the movie. Yes, And I think that part of it also is because of the kind of character that Han Solo is to this movie. Mm -hmm. Like, this is something I was thinking about this time. This is like, you know, very simplistically, a good versus evil story, right? And you have characters that you sort as good and characters that you sort as evil. And, of course, we sort Han Solo as good. Yeah. But if you look at it as in the dichotomy of moral and immoral instead of good versus evil, if you look at moral characters and immoral characters... He kind of falls outside of the binary into amoral because he kind of doesn't do things that are good or things that are bad every single time. He's not like simply defined like that.
0: Well, his turn in the movie is a huge, huge thing because it's like I'm going to go back to the point that I kind of like took us off from where you (laughs) talked about, you know, how boys had Han and they had Luke. Right. So we'll talk more about Han. But Luke, the reason that you wanted to be Luke is you wanted to wield the lightsaber. Of course. You know, and you wanted to be able to go in that X-Wing, you know what I mean? And take on the Death Star, you know. And I, I mean, of course, you know, the best part of that whole end sequence to me is that Han Solo comes and saves the day. Yes, He saves Luke. From the bad guys, he takes out that TIE fighter, freaks out the other TIE fighter pilot, so he, like, pivots, hits Vader's ship, crashes into a wall. Vader, like, spins out into space. He's totally fucked up. He doesn't know what happened.
1: <laughs> I know. That was, like, hilarious because we talked about how Vader kind of has, like, no expression because he yeah. just got the black plastic mask on. But in that part where he's like spinning out of control, he really does somehow manage to like show that he's like completely (laughs) bewildered somehow. And I don't know how he did that with, like, the black, you know, garbage can helmet, but he did. <laughs> he just, yeah, he had
0: no idea what was going on, and you felt it. It was
1: hilarious, but I like his little ship. Like, I think his little ship is the coolest.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, they were they were great. I mean, going back to the toys, I had Vader's ship. The actual TIE fighter ship, I never had, but I got to play with it because a friend of mine had it when we were younger. And those were very neat too. Yeah, they like, were because
1: they have like the panels.
0: Yeah, they were just like yeah, yeah. It was just crazy. They looked like solar panels. But on the Millennium
1: the side. Falcon is the best one. Oh
0: yeah, and I played with that all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's oh the that best ship one. is so good. I
1: had a friend who had everything. Like uh, I, I guess he wasn't really my friend, but we, I guess we knew each other because our dads were friends, and so I went over to like hang out at his house. And he had, like, every Star Wars toy there possibly could be laid out all over his floor. I mean, you were, like, you know, going to die if you (laughs) stepped on these. I'd rather walk through a field of Legos than Mm -hmm. walk around this kid's room with all the action figures. But he had the TIE Fighter. He had the Millennium Falcon, which I loved. I was like, okay, I'm going to play with this.
0: It's Look. He had a a Jabba,
1: too. He had, like, a plastic Jabba. Yeah,
0: and he sits on his little throne, and you have salacious crumb. And, I was very impressed
1: that he had that, I have to tell you.
0: Well, the fact that Jabba is just, like, hitting the bong, that, like, <laughs> never, like, you know, his bong has frogs in it, like, that never really hit me. I never knew what exactly well, was going on. I
1: mean, on top of that, Leia is wearing, like, the gold, like, bikini suit. Yeah. Which is, like, pretty risque for kids.
0: Well, it's, you know, a lot of people my age, they love that, and they talk about that so much. And I was one of those people that, like, when I saw the movie, I never even thought about it. I just thought about it like a bikini or something, <laughs> and I was like, okay. Because I was much more interested in, like, Jabba, yeah. Salacious Crumb. you <laughs> know. Well, and
1: Han was in the Carbonites Right. At that point. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: That was, I mean, and, 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 and I mean, let's not forget Bib Fortuna.
1: Oh, God. Bib Fortuna's creepy.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, and he has those, he has those, like, claw
1: hands, and I don't like he that. has those
0: tentacles that kind of wrap around. It's not good. Yeah, he's a creepy dude. He
1: looks like he has, like, a goiter on his <laughs> neck or something. I'm really grossed out by that. He's but... got
0: he's got problems, is what we're saying, but, yeah. you know, he's in Jabba's palace. and <laughs> Whatever. That's, like, Jabba's place also, I mean, He just, didn't
1: let his deformities get him down. No,
0: we oh, didn't. I'm sorry. And, so, I mean, Jabba's place is kind of like Studio 54, okay? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you've got, like, the music happening, you know, and it's, like... Like, you got people, like, crashed out, you know, after hours, right? You know, they're all like, oh, you know. Because, like, when Leia sneaks in, right, it's like we have all these people out cold. You know what I mean? And you also have, you know, like, the Rancor Pit, which I'm sure, you know, Studio 54 would have loved that shit. You know what I mean? They'd be like, who got in tonight that shouldn't have? They're going in the the Rancor Rancor Pit. pit. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, so, I I mean, it's a pretty crazy place. That's
1: hilarious.
0: Yeah, and the Gamorian Guards... Wow, those guys. They, like, look so scary. They have, like, that very the orc. The rhino
1: face guy? Uh, the
0: orc-looking guys. Okay. I mean, I guess you could say rhino, but it's like the green guys that are stout, and they have, you know, like, the cheese. And yeah, the... I
1: think I'm just thinking about, like, the tusks are making me think of, like, rhino horn or something, but, yeah, no, I know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have those guys there, and then, like, the other thing, I mean, to go to Jedi really quick, and I'll get out of it, is, like, then there's, like, that, fucked up robot torture chamber oh yeah like what is going on Like yeah i yeah so anyway return of the jedi that (laughs) happens but han luke going back 30 minutes now han and luke both really cool people to be
1: yes
0: you know because you could have your fantasy you know what i mean you could have whatever you wanted You know, like being really good with the blaster. Han's blaster, which I used to own, was one of my favorite toys. That's cool. Yeah, like that's a very cool toy.
1: The blaster is cool, but I definitely was like the lightsaber kid. I really wanted to have a lightsaber, which I never did. Yeah. I do not think I played with the lightsaber once when I was a little kid. Oh,
0: I had this huge lightsaber. I think I showed you a picture (laughs) of it online. It was from Kenner. And it was like it had this huge plastic hilt, and in the top it almost looked like a, a baseball bat. You know, those plastic baseball bats would have as a kid. And when you would swing it, because the air would flow through it, it make the woah
1: wow. That's cool.
0: Yeah, and like we would like destroy everything with these lightsabers because <laughs> they were so big. Yeah, they were so big. We would like you know have all kinds of like lightsaber battles. Then like you know during the fight, you know you might like bash a column or. You know, whatever it is. You know what I mean? It's so
1: funny because there's not even that much lightsaber battle in this movie. Uh,
0: Well, yeah, there's the, oh, yeah, there's the oh-so-swell, you know, Vader-Kenobi fight. I don't even
1: know what to say about this.
0: It sucks, is what I would say. (laughs) Because it's like, okay, this is like, (laughs) this is the big business, okay? These are the two guys that you can tell are the masters. And so, like, this is the moment you wait for. You're like, all right, this is the showdown.
1: they have history, which they both talk about. Yep. And so you're like, oh, my God, these guys are going to face off again after, like, years. And it's going to be crazy. Yeah. And then it lasts for, like, three smacks of the sword. (laughs) And then they're just like, and then Obi-Wan's just like, okay, whatever, I'm out. Yeah, he's
0: like, I'll be what I'll be stronger than you could if you strike me down, I'll be stronger than you could ever imagine.
1: Really? I, mean, I didn't see that happen. Well, here's the part
0: I want to talk about with this that, that really stuck out to me this time. Okay? So all the people are watching this fight, this lightsaber battle between these two titans.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, you have stormtroopers hanging out there. Everybody is focused on this battle. And so Han, Luke, Leia, Chewie, they're getting out of there. You know, 3PO, R2, they're getting out of there. And Ben Kenobi decides right when the whole, like, good team is in full view of the bad guys, you know, to, like, sacrifice himself. (laughs) And because of that, Luke yells, okay? And, like, all of the bad guys are right there. And then they just turn around and it's just like there's this whole firefight, and that could have been avoided. Like people yeah. could have died right there. Like why didn't Ben wait till they were gone on the ship before he did the sacrifice play? Because no one would have looked anywhere else, you know. If if, if yeah, it's just so stupid. And then like the what the other thing that happens is, you know, it's like they're behind those like those sliding doors. That that's where Ben and Vader are fighting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Vader. He's like, you know, pretty big dude in the Death Star, right? And like, he's coming towards the doors. He's coming towards Han, Luke, Leia, everybody. As he's coming towards them, the door's shut in his face.
2: Why? I don't
0: know. Like, it's his place.
1: I don't know, but they do. I mean, I saw that too. And it's not like anybody pushed a button or something that I saw. Yeah. I don't know. It's... it's. I feel like this is something we're All of this was like more convenient for the story, yeah. So it was done even if it doesn't necessarily make a hundred percent sense. And I think that you know, when I think about this whole situation with Obi-Wan, I think that it's a concession to the philosophy of the film, okay, over anything that actually makes good sense. You okay. know, like in the context of the story, him saying, if you strike me down, I'll come back stronger than you can imagine. Right. Is more like going back to this Taoist kind of philosophy that okay. this movie is kind of based around. Mm-hmm. So we haven't really touched on that yet, but I'll just give like a really quick one here because <laughs> like, Take you know, well, there's time. so much we could talk about with that too. And I don't really necessarily want to get into it deeply but obviously that's something that's at play here. And what it is is, you know, the force between opposites is a big part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of paradox and then you're examining the paradox to come to the truth. Like and that I think is what we're seeing here, which is that, you know, the greatest thing that Obi Wan can do here as an offense in this fight is to just disappear and let go and disengage. And like, that's kind of what happens. But in the the actual moment, it doesn't really make sense. And I don't think we ever get a payoff of him being like that much stronger as like a force ghost. No. Then he is here, but the force is kind of like the Dow. It's kind of like, the force that goes through all things and you know it's like the force of the universe so I think that's what Lucas is kind of playing with here um sometimes successfully sometimes less so but I think that yeah I do think that this whole idea of Obi-Wan fighting by not fighting is a concession to that philosophy because like That's one of the central tenets is called doing, not doing. Okay. So when you're doing, not doing, it's not doing nothing. Mm -hmm. It's like you're actively choosing not to do something. Okay. And by doing nothing, you're, or by not doing, you are actually doing. So (laughs) it's a little confusing to explain. I'm not an expert. I just have some light kind of knowledge about this from studying it for Shakespeare stuff. Because, of course, you know, Shakespeare's Eastern religion, you know, is very well known. Not at all. (laughs) Um, If you're me and you like to smash weird things together, yes. But um, that's basically what what I know this from. And I've read the Tao Te Ching and I, you know, have been through it. But, and, you know, I didn't really know when I was watching Star Wars as a kid, that that's what this was. But after I had been exposed to the Da Jing, and then I went back and watched Star Wars again, I'm like, okay. Like, so many more things made sense in the context of knowing that. And, you know, that's the thing we're saying. Like, George Lucas is pulling from so many different places Mm -hmm. and putting it all together to make this movie, which is, to me, what makes it original, even though you know, there's an homage to practically everything in this movie, and I think that's what's special about it, and of course, the creativity within that is just unbelievable. For me, the biggest thing is with all the creatures and the worlds and all of these things that you get to see, and it makes it feel very infinite, you know, you can imagine that there are all these planets with all of these different types of species. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool. I mean, I think that's super cool. Well, Chewbacca,
0: I mean, what a wonderful creation that man is. You know, I mean, Chewbacca is so amazing because it's like, I feel like somebody watched like one of the old, like, uh, Gela Lugosi kind of monster, kind of like werewolf films, you know, something of that time. Because when you look at the face, you can kind of, you can kind of see that, but then you can also see, you know, like a dog in there too. So (laughs) it's like, it's like you have, you know, the, the ferocity of this monster, but at the same time you have, you know, the good spirit of like your dog, you know, your best friend. So it's like.
1: And he is Han's best friend. Yes.
0: And he's so smart. He's a genius. He's a genius mechanic, and he has so many great ideas. And I love the fact that this character, you know, just talks. They're like, oh <laughs> you know? I mean, that is amazing because we understand what it means. Yeah. You know, it's like there are all of these characters in here. Like R2-D2, he doesn't have words. Yeah. He Well, he does, but it, it's, it's different than what we're used to.
1: Well, and that's the other thing. Like R2 and 3PO are machines yeah but i never think of them as machines never they have a personality yeah they are people yeah in the context of this movie droids are people and i think that it's really successfully done i mean they're really the first creatures or in of anyone or first characters really that we um get close to because you know at the very beginning of the movie They escape in the escape pod and end up in Tatooine. Yeah. And that's what's, you know, these are the people we're going with. You know, and I say people, meaning droids. But then the Jawas, like, get them. Right. And you see that they're actually machines, you know, because they're getting, like, pulled. There's all these machines getting pulled apart and put back together and all this stuff on the Jawa transport whatever you want to call that
0: yeah i don't know what that's called and and there's another example the jawas they don't have traditional language and there are no subtitles but you get it yes yeah, you understand it
1: it's very smart i mean like it is very smartly done i think you have to say that for george lucas like yeah. you know he gets a lot of criticism and some of it is warranted phantom menace um but, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, his vision is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. The Death Star is a great idea. Oh, yeah. It's such a great idea. Because, you know, I never would have thought about this massive planet-killing space station.
1: Yeah, that looks like a planet.
0: Yes. Yes. It looks like a moon with a little satellite dish in it. Yeah. You know, like it's, you know, watching ESPN.
2: <laughs>
1: Well, it's such a cool idea for a ship. And then, you know, this is one thing where I do kind of want to bring in Rogue One a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the whole thing I think that we probably have thought about all our lives is, how is it possible that you have this Death Star that's this height of technology, right? They spent unbelievable amounts of time, effort, resources to build. Mm -hmm. And then it has this little stupid flaw that allows some loser kid from, like, the middle of nowhere to shoot, like, these bombs into the middle of it and blow it up from the center. Right. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people discussing that over the course of our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. And then when we watch Rogue One, it's kind of explained that that flaw was built into the plan. Because the designer of the Death Star, which is this guy Galen Erso, um, built it in. Because he didn't want to go along with this plan. And he had to. He was, like, forced to work on it. And it's kind of a metaphor, I think, for nuclear weaponry. Hmm. You know, that you have the scientist who's a brilliant researcher and knows all this stuff. And, you know, this is the only way he can, like continue to study but he doesn't actually support what he's working on sure and that's what happens in this and it ends up being something where you know in the end of rogue one they're able to get these plans and transmit it to leia and when we saw rogue one i have to say that it really like reinvigorated the series for me
2: definitely because
1: it really changes the way that i watch a new hope now Mm -hmm. because the end of rogue one goes directly into New Hope and it you know I do have to say like there's been times in my life where I was burned out on Star Wars I was like I've seen this too many times I can't deal with this anymore I'm not interested anymore but it just keeps pulling me back in with something new yeah and you know with with that it really did pull me back in because it made me feel the immediacy Of the conflict between the Empire and the Rebel Alliance in a way that I really hadn't felt maybe since I was a little kid, you know, the first few times, you know, watching these movies. Well, it's a good and evil thing again, right? Like I said, but it's pretty simplistic. You just have like the, and I thought about this tonight. Uh, You think about the Empire's motivations Mm -hmm. and all they want is control. Yeah. To what end? We don't know. There's no explanation of that. Basically, you just have this dark space wizard and the space Nazis, (laughs) and they're trying to just gain control, and they'll do whatever they have to do to squash the Rebellion. And the Rebellion is basically just, we don't want these guys to be in control. So there's just not much that you know about it at this point, except... These people want control and they're kind of seem like bad guys. I mean, the space Nazi stuff doesn't really help them, no, to get you on their team.
0: English space Nazis, let's also bring that up. I mean, I know.
1: Well, I mean, and Peter Cushing is terrifying, I think.
0: Well, he's very scary, and this is something that I noticed is that in Star Wars A New Hope. Darth Vader is really, like, the top-level henchman. He is not the boss man. Yeah. You know, Peter Cushing, Grand Moff Tarkin, he is calling the shots. And he is the one that tells Vader what to do. Yeah. You know, and it's like, that's a big change. It's weird. Right. Because you always thought, okay. But then as we go on further in the series, you know, we see that Vader is told what to do by the Emperor. You yeah. know? So it, it's like a, a similar terrifying presence, but the fact that the Peter Cushing as Grand Moff Tarkin is just this guy, and you know he had all these horror films under his belt, and he has so much skill, he's really able to needle you in a perfect way. Yeah, you know he is like ah, the part where he gets Leia to say that the Rebel base is on Dantooine. And he's like, "Oh, you see, she can be reasonable. Okay, let's still blow up Alderaan." You know, yeah. and it's just like, "Yeah, Dan Tuen, that's that's not a good example, but but thanks for letting us know." You know, and we move forward. Yeah. The one thing that I I have to say feels out of character for me with Grand Moff Tarkin is later. Um, it's just he and Vader in the boardroom, and he is shocked that Leia lied to him. Yeah. About the location of the rebel base. That, you know, she told him only because he was going to blow up an entire planet, her home planet as a matter of fact, You know, I mean, there's, there's, you know, she never was going to give up that information. Well,
1: I mean, this is the whole thing, though. I think it's his ego at work here. Because he thought at that point that he was really pulling a fast one. Yeah, yeah. Because he was telling her, oh, well, if you just tell me where the rebel base is, then Alderaan will be saved. And she's like, okay, it's on Dantooine. And he's like, oh, you're too trusting. You never should have told me that. And then he blows up Alderaan. And then later on, he doesn't realize that she saw right through him.
0: Well, it's, it's just like he didn't think it would be a good example because Dantooine was too remote. And, yeah, I, I mean, it's just, yeah, it really is his ego, yeah, you know, that that is just in the way there. Because what an idiot.
1: Well, we see this, I think, often with people who are in charge who think that they're, like, you know, brilliant, stat, like, strategic thinkers. Right. You know, but really he's just kind of some dude who ended up in charge and he's just lucky that he has people who, you know, can do what he's telling them to. I mean, Vader, why does Vader listen to this dude?
0: I don't know. I mean, that's that's just something we take as a given when we when we come into this. But we can see how much power Vader has. Going back to, you know, the space Nazis in the boardroom on the Death Star, and then we have the the one gentleman <laughs> That's mouthing off to Vader, yeah. you know? He's like, I I don't have even close to the exact quote, but he's like, you know, we don't care about your old sorcerer's ways and keeping your dead religion alive. And and then, like, Vader does that little, like, pincer move and just chokes him. Yeah, He was going to kill that guy. There's no question. That guy yeah. was dead. And then Tarkin is like, enough. Yeah. And it was like, what?
1: Like, calling off his dog here. But, like, yeah. the thing is... I think that that's just meant to show us that this force thing is not highly respected. And we have that multiple times throughout the movie, sometimes with Vader, sometimes with Luke. Yeah. Um, Where, like, I was laughing at the end of the movie where, you know, Luke is, like, flying to go drop the torpedoes or whatever it is that he's, you know, shooting into this hole to blow up the Death Star. hmm And he has this aiming computer thing that he's supposed to put over his eye (laughs) and look at, you know. And, you know, when he's doing that, he gets this voice in his head of Obi-Wan saying that he needs to trust the Force. Which is calling back to a thing earlier where he was, like, practicing with the lightsaber with this weird little ball thing that was, like, shooting out energy zaps. Mm -hmm. And he was, you know, defending. And... Uh, Obi-Wan puts this blast shield down on this helmet so he can't see and is basically telling him to reach out with his feelings. Right. You know, to learn how to use the Force. So when he's in the X-Wing and he's about to, you know, shoot this thing, he has this aiming computer down and he hears this voice that says, you know, use the Force. And so he puts away the aiming computer and everybody back in the home base is like, Luke, you you put away the computer. And he's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> and everyone in there is just, and I was just like, <laughs> I go, I'm going to use the force, guys. It'll be okay. I mean, like, can you imagine if you were like this rebel, you know, leadership? And this is like your last... Chance, Because all these other guys have gotten blown away. Oh, yeah. Who were much more experienced pilots. And then you have this little dude who this is like his first mission out. You don't know anything about this kid, but he's naive as hell. Yeah. And then he's basically just like, oh, no, I don't need the aiming computer. I'm good. And I would just been like, why don't we just kill ourselves then? Because this, you know, why are we even trying? <laughs> And of course he does it. Yeah. And Vader says the force is strong with this one because Vader clearly still believes in the force and knows about the power of the force. Yeah. But like nobody else really cares. Like Han straight up says that he thinks it's bullshit.
0: (laughs) Han thinks it's all bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and again, just to add to the stakes of that moment, you know, we have this countdown. Um, for the Death Star to have the Rebel base, the real Rebel base, in its sights. And it's very cool because when they first give the announcement, no, not first, the first one they say is 30 minutes, but when they say it's 15 minutes until the Death Star will be in range to blow up the Rebel base, it is just about 15 minutes left in the movie, minus the credits.
1: That's pretty cool.
0: I think that's, I think that's amazing. And so it's like, at that point, you know, it's like they have like, you know, seconds. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, yeah, Luke's just going rogue. You know what I mean?
1: And I mean, this is like their only chance before the rebel forces get totaled by this Death Star, which we've already seen literally blow up a huge planet, you know, with tons of, you know, I mean, Alderaan was like this major planet with cities and millions of people and all of this kind of stuff and this rebel base is nothing in comparison to that so it's it's super high stakes and you're trusting it to this little kid i mean i really think they play up like the smallness of luke like like you said when he comes in to rescue leia she says he's pretty short yeah for a stormtrooper And, you know, it just shows you, like, he's a little guy. He's not, like, you know, super strong, super skilled. He's not the person who you would pick out of a crowd as your best bet for survival.
0: No. And, I mean, you have this whole strike force that goes to the Death Star at the end. And you get the vibe that these people have been on the team for a while. They've flown a lot of missions. They know what's going on. And... All of these people get smoked. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to give a shout-out to our main man, William Hootkins. Yes. Uh, I looked it up. Nickname Hoot, which is amazing. <laughs> um, you know, we know him, of course, from Raiders of the Lost Ark, Flash Gordon, Batman. Yes. You know, A New Hope. Um, he is Red Six Porkins. What a name. I, you know mean, what
2: I mean,
1: he every we looked up this dude's credits. Right. And sadly, like every role he played, basically the name referenced his size, which I think is pretty crap.
0: And a movie, Hanover Street, which was a Harrison Ford film that came a couple years after this, uh, his character's name was Beef. Yeah. Um, you know, (laughs) it's just like, I mean, this is the kind of shit I get. You know what I mean? It's really terrible. I really think it's awful. Give him a turkey leg.
1: He's an extremely good, good actor. He's excellent. Well, I mean, and I do have to laugh though, because I've seen people like, meme this with like he has like a cheeseburger on the dash you know the x-wing yeah i mean you know porkins come on could you have been a little bit more creative anyway like i don't know whatever but, i could
0: totally see us setting up a self-tape for porkins
1: <laughs> well you know at least porkins is
0: like a hero porkins is so good and like yeah william hootkins is just an amazing actor and i i do always get excited when i see him in things Um, I would say that probably of the things that I've seen him in, I would say Lieutenant Eckhart and Batman 1989 was the best role he got because it was like he was doing an Orson Welles from Touch of Evil.
1: Yeah, that was cool. So it was
0: a very, the very cool performance. But yeah, so I mean, we have Red Six, Porkins, you know, we basically see this dude and then he's instantly dead. He's the first one to go down of the team.
1: But I mean... The fact is, what they're doing is, like, this nearly impossible thing. They're yeah. fighting on, like, a planet, like, a moon-sized ship that has these gun turrets that are enormous. Yeah. And can just blow you out of the sky. And, you know, there's all these little guys flying in on these tiny little X-Wing fighters trying to, like, I mean, they three of them or whatever can fly into this canyon on on the death star yeah. i mean that's the scale we're talking about right. of this thing so you know it's a big thing and that's kind of that was kind of their logic here is that it was designed to fight larger enemies rather than small enemies mm-hmm. that could like you know team up but then you have the tie fighters who come in and can do like the ship to ship small fighting um, so, you know, they have a lot of defenses, and it's only by the fact that Galen Erso built this kind of fail thing into the design. As
0: Mads Mickelson would do in real life. Yes,
1: of course. He's right. a hero. <laughs>
0: he's a genius. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's so cool that we saw that, you know. I just, I love that about Rogue One. And I think that was a great movie. I know not everybody thinks so, but I do.
0: I love it, too. And I have to say that that final sequence of the film, the the raid on the Death Star, is absolutely my favorite sequence. And the video game that they had out first for Star Wars, I don't know if you remember this. It was like, it was just like blue lines. You know what I mean? And well, what you did is you went into the trench And you fought just like in the Death Star. You had to blow up those towers, you know, and then you had to shoot other fighters. It was an amazing game. And then when you were in the trench, there would be, like, different, like, bars at the top or the bottom. So you had to fly under or over. Yeah, it was like you had to do the whole thing. And then at the end, you, like, you know, you shoot the photon torpedoes. I mean... It was an amazing game. There were so many Star Wars games, yeah. you know, over the years. And I'll still play them. I love each and every one, you know. But it's just like you don't have as much, like, excitement usually for, like, your final act. But the final act of this film is so loaded because Han Solo says, yeah, I could help you. I'm taking the money and I'm pissing off. Yeah, And you're like, whoa. Then you have this whole team of rebels go in and the veteran guys are just getting picked off like in no time. Yeah. And like, you're like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? You know, and then, you know, you have this amazing turn. Han Solo, Chewie come back, you know, save the day because they keep Luke clear. You know, they take care of Vader and the other two TIE fighters so he can, you know, make the shot. Yeah. and go home and you're like,
1: Yes! And you're psyched because you really love Han, right? Oh, so course. you're really on the team. You really like him. And you're like, Oh my gosh, he's abandoning us, you know? And then he comes back strong.
0: Yeah. And it's like, it. Well, and there's that light behind him. I don't know if it's from like a star or, you know, whatever. Maybe it's just the exhaust from the ship. But it's just like he's coming down, like, you know, from above. You know what I mean? It's just like, all right. Well, and it's
1: in the Falcon, which you love. I mean, and I love how that ship is designed. Like, when they're having, like, the firefight with the TIE fighter in the Falcon, and they're in, like, those turrets. Mm. That's, like, really cool. I mean, the design is questionable, because I feel like you're just kind of hanging down in this gun turret it's like the <laughs> easiest thing to take out on this thing but it looks cool on the inside the way that luke is like you know when you're moving sure it's like moving the whole seat you know when you're shooting things so it's designed really cool i think it's designed
0: to mimic the planes from world war Two.
1: yeah they had like the ball turret gunners mm-hmm. um which again was the people that would get targeted for Getting shot in the plane. Mm. There's an amazing poem, amazing, super dark but amazing, by Randall Jarrell called "The Death of the Ball Turret Gunner," mm-hmm. and it's about like one of these guys who, you know, was flying in these this ball turret that's kind of on the bottom of the plane. Yeah, and that's who they would aim at because they don't care if the plane. The plane doesn't do anything. It's the gunner inside the plane. And because they were just in kind of this bubble mm-hmm. where they could easily be targeted and killed. Yeah. That's who they were taking out. So, yeah, it's kind of a, a poor choice, I think, <laughs> design-wise. But for me, as a little kid watching the movie, I was like, oh, that's so cool. You know?
0: Well, when you had the Millennium Falcon toy, I mean, there was just the, the one gun in the center that you could control and there was like a seat there and you could spin it around and you know it would click but the other one that i know what you're talking about in the film that that was not on the toy Mm -hmm. so it's like you never really thought about at least i would always forget about it and then i'd watch the movie and be like oh is there another turret somewhere (laughs) you know there should be something else
1: i thought that was the coolest thing when i was watching the movie i just always remembered that because It just seemed, I mean, in real life, that would make me so motion sick, like instantly. Yeah. But, like, in the movie, it's, like, so cool that, you know, when he turns to shoot something, it, like, turns his whole body and, like, goes up and down in all the different directions. And I thought that was super neat. It's awesome. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about some MVPs. Let's talk about Alec Guinness. Oh, man. We have not even We've not even begun. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kind Hearts and Coronet's. Thank you.
1: Yeah, Alan Guinness is an amazing actor. If you haven't seen the movie Kind Hearts and Coronets, go watch it. Mm-hmm. We're not going to talk about it right now. We might do a show on it someday. So good. Um, he plays multiple roles in it, and he's so unbelievable that it's just perfect. And I think that getting him for this kind of kids space like fantasy, yeah, was such a smart move because it adds so much weight to what you're doing and a point that you made which I think was great is having Alec Guinness be the one to explain all of this philosophy stuff about the Force Yes is kind of like the only reason it works
0: Yeah, because he makes you buy it and it's just like, you know, we accept it because we love the movie and we're so excited. But if like you try to like separate yourself from that and you think about imagine if you just had these words. And it was like he says something like it, it penetrates us, it surrounds us, it engulfs us, whatever. And I was just like, Wow. I was just like, all right, how would a how would I have said that? I mean, you know, Alec Guinness, genius, you know, and that and that's why he's here. Like When he goes away in the film, you know, it's a a real loss because you really are learning so much from him. The audience gets so much from him because he's the one that's giving us the backstory, you know, on Luke's father. He's giving us the backstory on the Jedi. He's telling us what the Force is, how the lightsaber works, how Luke can learn, you know, like all of these things. And then, you know, when he's killed and he's to become stronger than ever, I, he becomes a VO artist. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, you know, I mean, it's good he's there and he's talking to Luke. But, you know, I again, I just keep going back to the point of why couldn't he have just blown the Death Star up himself? Why yeah. couldn't he have just done it? Or done something. Yeah, like, I wanted him to do something, like, amazing. Like, just, just do something amazing.
1: And, you know, we've seen the prequels now, so we know that he was an amazing jedi yes yes and he did do a lot of things mm-hmm. and now he's like a desert hobo
2: <laughs> yeah
1: and this i'm referring to uh the bad lip reading <laughs> bushes of love video which everyone should go watch if you haven't seen it yeah Alleginness is so awesome, and he's such a perfect choice to be, like, this teacher. Yes. And you're kind of, as the viewer, you're kind of in the position of Luke learning from him. Mm -hmm. You know, he's the person who explains to you what the mythology of this world they live in is. Yeah. And if it wasn't for the way that he does that, I don't think that you could have gone along with this movie. Like, you could have enjoyed different parts of it and, like, you know, been excited about the action elements and everything. But the weight, the gravitas yeah. that he brings is what makes this feel more important. Um, it makes the struggle between light and dark more important. And going back to the original idea we had here today about this being a sword and sorcery movie, mm-hmm. if you don't have... That struggle as the foundational conflict in the story, you don't really have the story. Because you can't go along with the hero's journey if you don't believe in, like, you know, the importance of what he's doing. And that's what Ale brings here is a functional explanation of what, you know, what the struggle is.
0: Well, and it's also, I would say, like safety. Because, you know, Luke just meets Han in a bar. He meets Chewie. You know, he has these two droids, which he met very recently. For the most part, I feel like he's a kid on his own. And Obi-Wan kept everything together. You know, he kept the ship on course. I mean, we see that even in the Death Star. When he goes, when Obi-Wan goes to shut down the tractor beam, and then Luke has to convince Han to rescue Leia, he has to put in a lot of work. Yeah. Han does not seem trustworthy. And Chewbacca, you know, is not going to go against Han. You know what right. I mean? Not at this point. I mm-hmm. mean, later on, they have relationships. Yeah. And the droids, you know, R2-D2, he's ready to go. But I don't think he would have been able to do it all with R2-D2. C3PO would have put up a fight probably, too. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Well, because his whole thing is about following the rules and being proper. Right. Which is a very difficult thing with this crew, because the entire point of them is to break all the rules. <laughs> You know, and 3PO is constantly (laughs) concerned about that, which I think is hilarious. Well, and you
0: also have then Leia show up. So Leia shows up and I feel that she takes the place of Obi-Wan because, again, she is in control. We feel safe with her. We trust her. She can tell Han what to do. She can tell Chewie what to do. She can tell 3PO, R2, what to do. She's like the new leader of the group. Yeah. So it's it's like I it's like, you know, oh okay, you know, we're we're safe again.
1: Well, she has the experience. Like right. she brings that and there is a vacuum of that when Allegan is, when Obi-Wan is gone. Um but yeah, I think that's a really good point. I really hadn't thought about that before.
0: It's pretty wild. I mean, and like we're talking about, you know, people that just Make the movie. I mean, everybody does. But James Earl Jones, where would we be without that Vader voice?
1: I mean, that's so perfect. We will revisit James Earl Jones in the very near future for another Sword and Sorcery movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But his voice is so tied to the character of Darth Vader for me Mm -hmm. that that's almost the first thing I think about after, like, the helmet. Yeah. You know, you think about the helmet and the mask, and then you think about that James Earl Jones voice. He's so scary with just the simple power of the voice.
0: Because he has such a beautiful, rich voice. Yeah. When you can't see a person's face, it makes things not as reliable. And, like, his actual performance, James Earl Jones, the Darth Vader voice, he is using that voice to scare the shit out of you. Yeah. He knows exactly how to do it. He is a master of his instrument. His voice is gorgeous. It is. You know, people would pay him, I think, at certain <laughs> points to actually do like a, a an answering machine greeting for them or a voicemail greeting. There was some story I heard about this a million years ago. That's funny. Well, it's just it's so pretty. His yeah. voice is so good. And when you hear a voice that's that good, you think it's good, right? Yeah. But <laughs> And this, he's able to take it and turn it against you. You know, it's like the smiling friend that's really evil. You know, it's just like that voice is so gorgeous. Yeah. But then it's, oh, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, and I think, like, the presence with, like, the size of David Prowse is also a big part of this, too. But if you combine that and the voice, that's where you really, you know, win here. Mm-hmm. And the ha- the thing I have to say is, this being your first outing with Vader, right? he doesn't do that much until, like, later in the movie when he's fighting with Obi-Wan. And then, of course, when he's flying around with his little TIE fighter buddies, right? like, shooting at people. Um, you also have when he's force choking that one guy. But, overall, it's not what it becomes later. Like, even when I just think about Rogue One, when (laughs) there's that scene at the end when Darth Vader is trying to get back the plans. Yes. Um. He, like, shows up in this dark hallway and you can't see anything. And then, all of a sudden, his red, you know, lightsaber illuminates, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. Yeah. And then he just absolutely shit houses every single person in this hallway. Yeah. And there's a lot of dudes. And he just cuts them all down. Yeah. This is not a dude you want to mess with. But I don't really think we understand his power at the beginning of this movie. However, it is telegraphed by the James Earl Jones voice and the size of him in comparison to the other people. This is a scary dude.
0: He's a very scary dude. I mean, at the beginning, I feel like they don't want to give all the cards. They want to let you know he's scary. He does, you know, choke that guy to death. So, I mean, he does, you know, he does, like, announce his presence. But, I mean, if you had not just watched, you know, the ending of Rogue One, you wouldn't know the true terror of Darth Vader. I think when you saw it, you'd be like, whoa, what's this guy? And then he chokes someone to death. And he's like, yeah. He's like, <laughs> I love that he like murders a man. And he's like, bring uh, everyone to me and bring them alive. I guess just so we can kill him. You know? Um,
2: <laughs>
1: just needs, needs to hit his quota. Basically.
0: Basically. I mean, he's a, he's a bad dude. And I also like the fact that at the end of the film, he doesn't want to fuck around. He's he is an expert pilot. We know Anakin Skywalker is an expert pilot. And he's like, I'm not leaving this, you know, to the regular crew. He goes and gets oh, yeah. two dudes or ladies. I have no idea. He gets two TIE fighter people and is like, let's go kick some ass. Yeah. And that's that's what he does. He and just he go...
1: he's blown away yeah. that it doesn't work.
0: No, he <laughs> I I mean I think the confusion you know, after he, he like bounces away into space is how did I not win? Because he is the best fighter pilot that ever was, yeah. you know? And it was like, he was outmatched by Han Solo
1: Yeah, and, and his son. Yeah. And the cool thing here is that he didn't sense this. Like, That was what I found interesting. And that's probably what also blew his mind is because it's not just that he's the best pilot. Of course he is. We know this when we go back to the prequels. We see that even when he was a child, he was like this amazing pilot. Right. And he just kept getting better and better. Maybe it's karma that he shoots R2-D2 in the head while R2-D2's flying with Luke when R2-D2 used to fly with Anakin. Yeah. That was uncool, Darth Vader. But anyway, I was like really mad about that this time. Very protective of R2. I love him. R2's good. R2's good. But, you know, the whole thing is Darth Vader is like shocked, I think, because he is so used to being the one person who can use the Force and who knows what's going on and can sense everything that's going on. And not only is he outdone by another pilot, Mm -hmm. but he also didn't really sense Han Solo coming up. Yeah. And I think that's because Han Solo is kind of like an agent of chaos. (laughs) You know, he's outside of, you know, the expected. Because the Force is kind of like... I don't know. I don't want to say it's the expected, but the Force is something where you know, it operates in a certain way and Han is a guy that operates a totally other way. Sure. <laughs> you know, so if you're used to like following this particular path and you're used to like the normal way that people do things, then Han Solo shows up and kind of explodes that. Yeah. Um, because he he just isn't normal and I'm saying that in a good way. Um, but yeah, I so it's a great movie. We've said so much about it. I still think I have about a million other things well,
0: to say about it. I do too. Here, here's one that I want to throw out quick. And I think we talked about this during the film. So as soon as, you know, the Falcon is on the Death Star, Vader is there and he's like, I sense something that I haven't sensed in a long time. And so, you know, I, I think we're talking about Kenobi. Yeah. And there's never any point, I feel, where there's recognition of Leia being his daughter And Luke being his son. I think the closest we get is at the very end when he's about to to kill Luke. And he says the force is strong in this one. Mm -hmm. And I always wondered about that. I always wondered why. I mean, I know they didn't want to, like, give away the movie. I mean, that's part of it. But I I always wondered, like, what what was the idea behind that?
1: Well, it's a good question. Because also Luke, like, like, if they were trying to hide him, they gave him to you know, Darth Vader's stepbrother and like named him Luke Skywalker, which was like Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. So there's no like mystery here as to who this kid is. Right. Although somehow, you know, we feel that there is and nobody talks about it and nobody's like coming after this kid. Like we got to get rid of Darth Vader's kid. And yeah, he doesn't really recognize it, And I don't think that there's any sense that Leia is his daughter, either. So, I mean, I'm sure that eventually they figure it out. Like, he knows that Luke is his son in Empire, and that obviously means that, you know, Leia is his daughter, too. But I don't really think it's it's addressed, and I think that, you know, I'd be interested to know more about this.
0: Well, in Empire, when they're, you know, in that final battle, he... God, I think that maybe that's where we actually have Vader have the realization. Mm -hmm. He's like, you have a sister. I think he says something like that.
1: Then we'll hold that thought, I guess, until we talk Empire. we
0: gotta wait. I mean, but it's, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's just so much.
1: Yeah, there is, there is. I mean, and again, like, I feel like we could have gone into more details about the sword and sorcery connections. um, But we, you know, we kind of addressed it a lot. I mean, it's... It is that kind of a movie, but in space. Like, you have your knights, because the Jedi are knights. Yeah. You know, you have your dark wizard, you know? It's like, just as much as you have, like, Saruman or whatever in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That's kind of where you have Vader here. And a lot of times I think you have, when you have these dark wizards, it's also somebody that started out different and they were corrupted. Yeah. And that's what's happened here. Um, not that we find that out in A New Hope, but over the course of all the movies, we understand that that was the, the situation with Anakin is that he started out differently and was corrupted over the course of time by the Emperor and, and other things um his feelings for one yeah right (laughs) he feels a little too much um but yeah and then you have a princess like we said they kind of turn that on its head which i love because the princess isn't like this helpless kind of girl no and then your hero is an unexpected person yeah like i think about um the black cauldron series. Okay, yeah. That, you know, your hero in that is the assistant pig keeper. Right, right, right. right. I mean, this isn't like the prince who's going to show up and like take care of everything. This is some meaningless seeming person. Right. Who ends up being the key to everything. And they play with this again later uh, when The Force Awakens happens, where you kind of have this girl who you know, as a junker, she just, like, salvages things to subsist. And she doesn't seem important, but she ends up being kind of the key to a lot of things. And I love that. You know, I love the way they did that in this movie. And I just think that they were so smart. Well, they, as in George Lucas, really, was so smart in taking this kind of framework that we're all very familiar with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you love movies like this and stories like this, I know. Like, I do too, but not yeah. to the extent I think that you do. Like, uh, when you tell me about the things that you were interested in when you were a little kid, there's so many different types, sword and sorcery, movies, books, yeah. comics, um, TV, whatever, that you were interested in. And you love that kind of a story. And I think it was so brilliant to kind of, because space stuff in the 70s was a big deal. Yeah. Like, it was becoming a big deal because we had gone to the moon and there had been all this technology uh, advancement in regard to space travel. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, then we had great movies like 2001, um, which I don't think this could exist without.
0: No, and I mean, that was the late 60s. Yeah,
1: and the same thing with Star Trek, actually. You know, there were these ideas of, like, going to space and using the excitement around space travel to combine with this classic tale of sword and sorcery and of a, you know, a normal person being like the chosen one. Yeah. And you know, I think that was really smart and it also has kind of a western element to it. Sure. Again, this is back to just thinking about how how many things george lucas is bringing in to make something so successfully original yeah and its own thing i just think that's great i love it when i see somebody do something like that
0: me too and i mean also the merchandising let's not forget about that (laughs) that was the biggest thing i mean star wars was and is a phenomenon okay because we've had toys since the beginning we've had cartoons comic books you know We've had cups. You know what I mean? I remember having like Empire Strikes Back glasses from Burger King. Oh, yeah. You know, we've had so many things. It's like the Star Wars universe books, you know, like other people writing stories in the Star Wars universe. There is so much out there that I would say it would be damn near impossible to be up to date on all of it. Oh, yeah. It's just it's so massive. And I think that's what's part of the appeal is it showed up in this very friendly story. And I will also add, pretty tidy story. Star Wars, A New Hope, you know, we get the full story. Yeah. You know, if we never had another movie, you know, we would have covered everything. Yeah. We would have covered it.
1: We could have, yeah. I mean, there's so much to add on, but this does exist as like its own little capsule story. Yeah.
0: I mean, the only thing I would... Well, I wouldn't say the only thing. A big thing that would have been left hanging is what was the fate of Darth Vader? You know, and you could, you could make that up, you know, on your own. But other than that, everything is taken care of. And I love that they have a movie like that to begin this entire franchise so that you feel like, hey, we have so much. We're going to give you a complete story. It's not like... For instance, when you have the Lord of the Rings films, you can't really watch them. At least I can't. I can't watch them standalone because the story just stops, you know, and it's like I understand that mirrors the books. But for me, it's like I'm like, ah, you know what I mean? There's there's just way too many uh, questions. And with this, with the first film, it was its own thing. And then after that, you know, it grew. Everything built on each other. You know, Empire Strikes Back. If we didn't have Return of the Jedi to bookend it, you know, we would never have these answers that we absolutely need. You can't
1: have Empire you can't have Empire without something after because it is too much of a cliffhanger. But a new hope is very much its own thing. Yeah. And it's so easy to see how this movie birthed an entire absolutely massive cultural phenomenon yeah i don't know i just think this is like a major classic film and i'm so happy that i came along <laughs> the what i did in relation to this then yeah. same thing with you yeah like we were born just at the time when this became a big thing and so our kind of childhoods were shaped by that And I think you could do a lot worse. Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, it's (laughs) the last thing I want to do, just before we we punch out, is I want to give a shout out to Peter Mayhew. I believe Chewbacca (laughs) is real. I want to give a shout out to Anthony Daniels. C3PO is real. A shout out to Kenny Baker. R2D2 is real. These are real. All these things are real. You know, every single... Creature, And if I can, I have one last thing I want to tell is my Chewbacca story. Of
1: course. All right.
0: So when we went to go see The Last Jedi in theaters, they had all of these great things happening. For me, the best was that there was Chewbacca. <laughs> I mean, he was outside. He was tall. The suit looked right. I was so excited. You know, it's just like, I'm like, oh my God, this is Chewbacca. And
1: like, we have to say that I don't exactly remember when that movie came out, but you were like probably in your late 30s, early 40s. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: And when
1: we leave the theater after seeing the movie and we walk out and there's this you know, seven and a half foot tall Chewbacca (laughs) standing outside, John lit up like a little five-year-old kid. Oh, yes. He was so excited. He had to get a picture with him immediately. Yes. So we'll have to post that on the Instagram this week so everybody can see. I wish I had a picture of myself with Yoda when I was five years old, but I do not. (laughs) I
0: wish you also talked to him. (laughs) Yeah. And, and did Yoda have a cane? I wanted to ask you that.
1: Yes. Oh, my yeah.
0: God. They had the cane and they had the robe.
1: She had like the brown underneath and uh-huh. then like the kind of like, I don't know, it looked like a...
0: a kind of like a burlap thing. Yeah, right? like yeah, a okay. burlap
1: sack jacket. Okay. I mean, she looked exactly like Yoda and she was kind of smaller. She wasn't like super short, but she was kind of bent over. You know, like, he's bent over. Yeah. And she wasn't, like, tiny. Like, Yoda's very small. But she was, you know, bigger than me when I was five. A little bit. Yeah. Um. But she, you know, with the bending over and everything, I'm guessing she was probably, like, four and a half feet tall looking. And I was across the room. So, you know, I just was really taken in by the mask. She had, like, this kind of... One of, like, the rubberized kind of masks Mm -hmm. that looks really real. Mm -hmm. And that was what convinced me, I think. And I don't know if she was doing the voice or anything like that. Okay. I couldn't tell um, because I was across the room. And I really couldn't bring myself to have the guts to go over. I mean, when I was a little kid, I never went and sat on Santa's lap or anything at the mall, you know. Mm. I was always scared by that kind of stuff. I was, like, the kid who was like, no, I'm going to pass. But, in this case, it wasn't because I was freaked out about you know see you know talking to Yoda. Its just as I wasn't cool enough. Like <laughs> it was like at five years old, I knew that like I just wasn't cool enough to go talk to Yoda, and like I just couldn't even deal at all. and it was hilarious.
0: I would have lost it too. <laughs> I mean, when I saw Empire Strikes Back in the theater when Yoda first showed up, I yelled, "The bunny!" <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, so
0: I loved him. I, I love Yoda. To well, I day. well, I know we'll get Yoda. into
1: Yoda a ton later when right. we we'll do Empire, but it's really just hard because I love Star Wars and you really love Star Wars. Like yeah. if I love Star Wars, you're like obsessed with Star Wars because um, I think you like it even more than me. And it's just so fun to like revisit this world because it's almost like these are your friends. Oh, they you know? are. It's like you grew up with them. You pretended to be them, and your friends pretended to be them. Oh, yeah. You know, you played these games when you were a little kid, and it is really just like the nostalgia of that is huge.
0: My last point is my father would always make me laugh. He loved the series, and he really liked Chewbacca and uh he <laughs> he would call him chewing tobacco
2: <laughs>
1: oh that's really great that was great yeah okay. so
0: i always think of chewing tobacco when i see him and i laugh my oh ass that's off.
2: funny
1: yeah the that's greatest. great yeah more good kid memories around this movie I, could, I mean we could have done a show just on that really. the nostalgia
0: is so high it's yeah.
1: massive so i think that's probably it um That we need to wrap up at this point because we're just turning into, you know, this is our life now. It's just (laughs) (laughs) talking about this. We've grown into our chairs. Yes. The oxygen in the closet has almost been depleted. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to wrap it up okay but uh this was a really fun talk and i'm super excited to talk about more sword and sorcery movies me too in the next few weeks
0: thank you for recognizing this is a sword and sorcery film georgia because i never would have thought of it but the proof is there and it's, it's amazing funny.
1: yeah we, when we were talking about doing sword and sorcery We have the usual suspects, Mm -hmm. like next week we're going to talk about another movie that both of us love intensely and have a lot of nostalgia around, Conan the Barbarian, Mm -hmm. which we are very fortunate to actually be able to see on the big screen this weekend. Yeah, first time. As part of a a series of just summer movies from 1982 Mm -hmm. um, that they're showing here uh, in L.A., And it was an awesome experience because neither one of us ever seen it on the big screen. Mm -mm. So because of that, we were like, well, let's do some sword and sorcery movies. And we were like, well, we can't do Conan first. So what should we do first? And there's a lot of ideas being bandied about. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I thought, why don't we go with Star Wars? Because it is a sword and sorcery movie. And that can be kind of our little hook. Um, to maybe find something different for us to say about it. Yeah. Um, even though I'm sure many people have discussed this to exhaustion um, elsewhere. But we haven't. So for us it was a new take and a fun and fresh way to revisit something that we both have explored on numerous, numerous, numerous occasions in our 44 and 45 years.
0: Yeah. And there's no way we could not review a movie called A New
2: Hope.
1: Yeah, I mean, hello, we're the right? hopeful kids over here. We are. Um, and, you know, that's one thing I love about this movie is it's in the title, man. Right. And, like, again, after you see Rogue One and you see what the hope is, mm-hmm. it really even, you know, brings that home even harder. So, you know, they, they have a new hope in getting these plans. They have a new hope in destroying the Death Star. They have a new hope in Luke, who is bringing back... You know, the force, which people clearly do not care about <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. Um, but by the time, you know, we move through the next few, it's alive and well and the old magic is back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We will hopefully uh, be with you next week uh, for Conan. Yes. And more sword and sorcery. And, uh, yeah, until then, stay comfy.
0: Stay comfy.